Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You know, I, I have been seeking the Lord about what, what God really has for us, you know, this year. And that's really probably an impossible task. Like, what, which of us knows everything that's going to happen for a year? That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? If God would show you a roadmap for a whole year, what would that be like? Sign me up. Just show me the whole map. I'll just do it. You know, if you had the perfect plan, think about how that would change the way you engage in your life. If it was an exact roadmap that was designed, you go like, okay, if I just do all these things, then I'm going to win. It changes how you engage. So I did this thing last year. I I weighed in at my uh, 40th birthday last year, and I weighed in at my highest weight of my lifetime. That's pretty good. That's saying something. <laughs> Got to be good at something, and my mom taught me how to eat, and so I was doing great. And you probably heard me talk about this a little bit, but this is a significant thing because, you know what, I didn't have the right roadmap in my life. And I just kept gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight. And slowly, you know, as you get older, your lowers become higher and your hires get even higher. And I was sort of doing this thing until I, I clocked in at a solid 240. That was pretty good. Felt the scale go, whoa, buddy. I can feel you today. <laughs> right? And I realized I needed a new roadmap. And so I hired a friend of mine sits here in the front row, and to, to give me a roadmap, somebody that I knew knew all the steps, and my job was to just buy into the steps and engage in the steps, and I knew that if I did those steps, I was going to win, and so I lost over 50 pounds. That's pretty good, right? Right? But if I didn't engage, well, first I had to trust the process, and I didn't engage in that process, then I would have never had any success. I would have just stayed the same all the time. And that's just one area of my life. But the thing I was seeking the Lord for us this year was about, you know, what does he have for us? And I'm like, God, just give us the roadmap. You know, God does not lay out the plan like you can do in your dietary plans, all right? The, the roadmap with Jesus is more principally, dri principally driven. And because God wants you to be dependent on him every day. He wants you to not lose focus of the most important thing in your relationship, which is in your life with him, which is not about you getting it all right. It's actually not about you never experiencing failure. I, just think about this. It, our, our, what I want in my life with Jesus, what I want in my whole life, is to never experience failure. Because failure feels like painful, it's lost. Actually, when I fail, I actually think I'm a failure or I did something wrong. But do you know that failure is not actually wrong? It's process. It's actually a necessary part of the process. And failure, your failure, my failure, is not like, does not change our status with God. Your failure and my failure doesn't make God either like us more or less. It doesn't make us more valuable to him or less valuable to him. In fact, you cannot change your value with God. 
And if you and I don't understand our value, it's really hard for us to engage in the process. Because it's a value-driven process. It's about how he values you and how you value him. So if it's a value-driven process, what does God value? And why does he not give you a roadmap? Because he's just a stinker? And he wants to play with your head? No. He's not like that. He's not a puppeteer that needs to play games with his kids. There's a purpose. See, God's purpose is for you and I to be fully dependent on him at every moment because that increases or it, it, it makes the focal point of all of our life, the engagement point about our life, is about relationship. Because he wants everything in your life and my life to be about him, to be in him. In fact, he says that I am in you and you are in me. He, he made him home inside of you so that he could have the most intimate place, engage in the most intimate place in relationship with you and I. This might seem elementary, but it is not. This is, this is the key to successful living in all of our life, is we need to find a new center in our life. But we have to learn how to engage in that center. And if we're engaging in the wrong things, we're going to be off track. You know what I'm saying? And so God wants to do this in our life this year, and I think he wants to give us the roadmap, but it's a day-by-day roadmap, kind of like in the fog, right? Where he gives you enough sight to see how to engage in the next day in relationship with him. And you and I have to be okay with this. This is a trust relationship, but God wants you and I to engage. And I believe that that is the shift for this year, that we start off our year engaging. So what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Well, I want you to think about this, this, this passage, and this is what just kept coming to my mind as I was seeking the Lord, is in Matthew 13, 44. We have to know what we're engaging in and what we're going after. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like, just slow it down in your mind. The kingdom of heaven is like a man or a treasure that's hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Goes on in verse 45. Again, Jesus says this The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one, of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. It's about value. Okay, we have to see where is the value. So this is my question to you. What is your pearl for this year? Where's your treasure for this year? What are you selling all to go after to get? And I believe this is the word of the Lord for our church. Because just imagine if all of us 
collectively, we individually, but then collectively add up what we trade in our natural lives, something that's a distraction, something we're engaging in that does not have kingdom or eternal value, and we trade that for something that we engage in that has kingdom and eternal value that is in God's purpose and plan for you this year, this month, this week, today, then tomorrow. And we engage in those things. And think about what would shift just in this local church. If we all just gave up something. This is not about, oh, I'm just going to give up, just give up something so I can be better. All right? Because we have to keep our eyes focused on the value. So what are you going to take? What are you going to sell? What are you going to shift? See, you know, there's these cool stories that I read about or hear about sometimes I'll be flipping channels and I'll see these old antique road shows. Anybody ever watch Antique Roadshow? <clears throat> well, these guys, they find this crazy stuff and, and it sometimes uh, really valuable things are passed on just through finding it in the attic. But there's also these radical stories where we find, we hear these people where they, they're actually shopping in a garage sale and they pick up something for pennies and it happens to be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Okay, so here's one story. This individual from New York, they purchased this little white ceramic bowl. They buy it for three bucks. Three bucks. They kick it around for about six years. Not literally, but it kicks around their home for about six years until they kind of like get, man, maybe we should see if there's more to this bowl or not. They take it into this historian this famous historian, whatever, and they look at it. The thing is worth over $300,000. It was a Chinese bowl from the Song Dynasty. Three bucks. They put it on auction, and they sold it for 2.2 mil. That's over 700,000 times what their investment was. Okay, talk about find the field. Find the thing in the field. Sell all you've got to go buy the field. Right? When, imagine what they, how many people would have approached that garage sale differently if they would have, if they could have seen the treasure? Here's another guy. That, this bed gets dropped off at this hotel. It's a four-post bed, and it's dumped off this hotel. And the guy that, a guy that works in the hotel looks, and he goes, you know what? I think there's something to that bed. And he offers the hotel to buy it for uh, 2200 bucks, basically. And Anyway, it's in Europe, so it's in euros, so 2,200 euros, whatever, okay? And, and then he takes the bed home, and the hotel's feeling like, hey, we got a bargain. That's sweet, 2,200 bucks. Somebody has dropped it off. It's free, you know? And he goes, and he has it checked out. This bed was literally Henry VII's bed from the 1400s. It was worth over $20 million. <laughs> Okay, my buddy, my friend, uh, for uh, discretion, let's call him Eric. That's also his real name. But, uh, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> he lives in the Seattle area, and he's looking for a house. His family's grown, so he buys this. This is a true story. He buys, uh, he, he looks at this lot, and he's wanting to, he's got six kids, so he's like, trying to get a house that fits, you know, his six kids. He wanted to live by the lake, so he's looking at this property, it's on five acres. It's worth one point. It's going for one point one million dollars. But it's a home in distress, so he knows it's worth more than that. And 
he looks at it and he goes, you know what, I think I could parcel off about an acre, half an acre on the left, half an acre on the right, and he negotiates this deal to like sort it out with the, lo the neighbors so they could expand their lots. And so he has it pre-negotiated. He sell half an acre for 300000 another half for 300000 He's going to get this, you know, million and a half dollar home for half a million bucks, basically, right? And so he's looking at it, and he's talking to his real estate broker, and they start doing some investigating and digging, and they look, and they're like, you know what? We think there might be some stuff that was buried, you know, a few decades ago in the corner lot, might be hazardous or whatever. And so he gets kind of nervous, and he backs out of the deal. Backs out of the deal, and then he buys another home, and it's kind of around the same area. Well, about two years later, the same real estate guy comes over, and he says, Eric, you are not going to believe what happened. These people bought that house. They bought in distress, and they were kind of messing around, and the deck was kind of low in one corner, and so they had to, like, repair the deck, and so they're digging up that area. They found, a, like, a treasure chest, $600,000 cash, rat hole in a box underneath the corner of this deck. He's like, wait a second. I just backed out of that deal. You're telling me I would have bought that property, guaranteed I was going to fix that same problem, would have found that $600,000 in cash, sold a half an acre on each side, that's another six hundred. dollars I would have owned that property for $0, no mortgage? And at that date, when he had found it out, the property was worth $2 million. So he would have gotten a $2 million property and lived in it mortgage-free. Okay. How would have Eric approached that property if he knew there was a $600,000 box of cash buried underneath the deck? Some lady, the lady had passed away, and nobody knew this. She didn't have any relatives, and they're just auctioning off her property. She was afraid of the banks, and so she just rattled all her money in a box. How would you approach any of those deals differently if you knew the value of the product you were buying? Come on, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a great treasure. It's like a pearl that you purchase and you trade everything to go get it because it's that valuable. What do you see? And I, the kingdom of heaven is not just church services. It's not just us sitting together and saying we love Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is about engagement. It's about movement. It's about driving the love of Christ into people's lives. But the kingdom of heaven costs you something. You have to see its value and trade things of lesser value to go get it. Where's the field in your life? The field is your influence around you right now. That's your field. That's what God put you in charge of. You and I have to go sell all the stuff that isn't important to go after that thing. But listen, you and I will never engage in the process correctly, and we will not experience fulfillment, and we will not, we will not find success in our efforts if we are not centered on the right thing. And Mark Drake does a really good job teaching about, uh, in, in a theological way, 
he, he talks about the roadmap, and other people use this example too. Stephen Covey uses it in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book if you haven't read it. But it, it's this concept of if you have a, if you have a roadmap uh, or a map of a city in Chicago, but you're in Buffalo, right? Whatever. Right? What, what's another? It's Los Angeles, okay? You, you're you're going to be lost. That map is no good. You don't know where to start. You don't know where to go. You, you're just going to be wandering around. You and I need to understand and have the right roadmap. You know, Mark describes it like this. You know, if I give you directions specifically from Abbott Loop to go to Kaladi Brothers, and I say turn left here, turn right there, drive one mile, drive, you know, 2.2 you know, uh, feet or whatever, miles, and then take a right, and then you get you there, right? But then you start at Fred Meyer, or you start over at McDonald's, you are not going to make it there. You're going to end up somewhere else. Your roadmap, my roadmap, has to be centered. So where are you? Where are you centered? What is your pearl, and where are you centered? What, where are you starting from? If you don't get your starting place right, you're going to end up lost, you're going to end up actually buying fields that don't have treasure in them. You're going to spend your life purchasing stuff that has no real value. Investing your life into something that will never give you a return on your investment. God didn't make you for that. He made you to engage in something that is going to change the world. And you're going to get a ridiculous reward for it at the end. But this is it. We have to get centered. So, where are you? You are here? This is my question for you. You are here? Where exactly? Okay, is your center self? Okay, if your starting place, you know on the map it says you are here? Well, if your starting place for your roadmap that God's given you, so God gives you this roadmap and the sense of like, we're gonna pursue relationship with him, we're gonna go after him. We're gonna lead people to Christ. We're gonna go to church and fellowship together and we're gonna worship God and we're gonna love our communities. We're gonna engage, engage in small groups, all this stuff. But if you do any of the, have family, build your, have a job, work, provide, all these things are part of God's plan, right? Pieces of it. But if you start from a self-center when you start making these decisions and they come into your grid, it's going to change where you end up. All right? So a self-centered roadmap. If my, if my starting place when I start on this roadmap is self-centered, the pastor comes to me and says, hey, I want you to serve. And then I look through my lens of me or self and I ask, how is this going to benefit me? Oh, yeah, I'll serve in your thing. How is that going to benefit me when I serve in your thing? That's how I'll look at that opportunity. Your boss comes to you and says, hey, I want, I want to give you this, these extra responsibilities. And, and you look through a lens and you go, oh, how is this, if I'm self-centered, I'm going to go, how is this going to benefit me? How, how me taking that is going to benefit me? Not how is it going to benefit the organization or the boss or my family, no, it's just going to be about me. 
if I'm involved with, and I have these benefits, are they worth it? Are they worth it to serve me? Can anybody see how this might get you off track? How about money-centered? What if money is your center? And your kid's like, oh, she's like, oh, I really want to play volleyball, Dad. And you first think, I don't know. Let me think about that. Is that worth the money that I'm going to spend for you to be involved in volleyball? If I'm money-centered, if I'm self-centered, right, I'm going to go, well, how is it going to benefit me if you're in volleyball? Or, you know what, you being in volleyball might kind of inconvenience my life, and I have to drive you there, and and I don't really want to do that because I want to go golfing, or I want to do what I want to do. Come on. What about status-centered? So it's about the title. It's about how people see me, how people see you. What if status is my center? And the boss comes and says, oh, man, look, I got this great promotion for you, and I want to give it to you. I want to give you more responsibilities, give you more money. And you're like, okay, more money's fine, Uh, more hours, don't really care. Uh, How are people going to view me? Are people going to think I'm important if I take that job, or are they going to think I'm kind of lesser? In fact, if you're status-centered, you might even start out your whole life this way, is, hey, I I'm going to go get a college degree. And really, I'm not looking at what I really want to do, but I care about what you all would think of me when I have that title next to my name. So I might invest thousands and thousands of extra dollars and do way more difficult work than I might not even be qualified for or passionate for just so that when you look at me, it's got that right title next to my name because I care about how you think about my status. In fact, I might take the promotion because it has a better title and less money. In fact, I might suffer in a job position that I am way underqualified for just so I can have that title or name. I might stay. Somebody's calling this iPad. Should I answer it? Hello? Oh, they hung up. That would have been awesome. (laughs) Hard not to get us way back on track, but that would have been so fun. (laughs) Okay. Be one of my kids. It's not my iPad, so it couldn't be one of my kids. All right. So we're status centered. I might take this job. I I I might work double the hardness. I might just suffer and being crushed just so I can keep that position. And I might hang on to my job, even as a pastor. Come on. Way longer than I'm qualified for because I still want to have that name and I want people to say, oh, Pastor Josh. Oh, Pastor. (laughs) Put the whole church in pastor prison because I'm not qualified anymore. Let's not sign up for self-centered, status-centered behavior. How about ministry-centered. Sometimes we get ministry-centered in the church world, okay? Ministry is everything. It's view, we lo- we live, live through the view of how do we serve the ministry. This is different. I didn't say Jesus, okay? Don't get confused. How do I serve the ministry and the minister? And am I 
Am I serving that vision and that thing? Do you know that some, some ministries get really off track from the will of God? How about some of these ministries that get maybe their money-centered ministries? Hello? I don't really want to serve in a money-centered ministry that all they're thinking and talking about is growing the ministry and making it bigger and making it more and getting more and bigger and more money and more things. And some ministers, they build out of status. How about how pastors drive their churches out of status? It needs to be bigger and better rather than, is it pleasing God? Everything is sacrificed on the altar of ministry. So, oh, I don't know, honey, you want to play volleyball? I don't know, that might interrupt our opportunity to work at the church, to serve the ministry. That could get in the way of the ministry. How about family-centered? Oh, that sounds pretty good when you say it out loud, doesn't it? This one might rub you the wrong way, but stay with me. If family is your center, you're in serious trouble. You're in serious trouble. Family cannot be your center. If family is your center and your kids are now your center, moms, sometimes dads, we want to live vicariously through our kids. So the volleyball girl comes to me and my daughter says, oh, I want to play volleyball. I'm thinking, well, I don't play volleyball. Our kids don't play volleyball. And, you know, I want you to play hockey, young lady, because Hockey's what we do. I mean, some girls want to play hockey. That's awesome, but it isn't about them. It's about me. I'm sticking my kid into something, not because they want to play volleyball. They actually want she wants to play volleyball. But I'm like, no, no, no. We, we, we're a hockey family. And because I want to live through her instead of somewhere else. How about, and, and then we, we get so family-centered that it's all about our family all the time. And everything is always being focus through the lens of just protecting our family. The, the boss comes and says, hey, I want to give you a promotion. You're like, ah, you know, I, I need to look at that and see, is that going to take out too much of my family time? You might say no to a great promotion in your life because, and something you're passionate about doing. Maybe it's something God called you to do because you're going to have to make a sacrifice in your family. But if your family centered first, you'd pass that deal up. I might be putting some sand in your shorts right now. It's okay. You'll work it out. <laughs> you might be husband-centered. Oh, it's just all about my husband. All oh, my husband this. All oh, my husband that. And that, that's getting to be a little bit less these days. But dudes, you might be just wife-centered. And your whole lens is all about pleasing your wife. And whatever it is, it's just all about her. If your life is all about your family, guess what's going to happen? They're going to grow up, and I'm going to leverage this into my next point, is your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to get married, and they're going to have kids. And then you have a big problem, and it's a math problem, is that your home is no longer big enough for everybody. And those kids might decide they want to live somewhere else, or they might want to decide they go to a different church or do something different that day that you normally had your every stinking whatever it is, family thing you always did in your tradition. Your Christmases are going to get blown up. Your Christmas family traditions, they're going to die. I'm just being honest. Uh, my my, my uh, in-laws had three daughters that produced 18 children. 
that's a serious math problem. And the traditions that we had, this is not even mathematically possible to maintain. And that was sad and hard. But we weren't family center of our life. It was not just family. That different uh, people have pastored in different churches. Where we haven't always all been together because it isn't just about our family first. Listen, if it's just about your family or yourself or your money or your status, the problem with those things is you will lose all of them. Every single one of those things is vulnerable to loss and decay. The entire universe is actually trying to break all that stuff up all the time. It's just happening. People die. They're lost. Family members are lost. Just they, they pass away. They move away. They make different decisions. You cannot keep all of the things you want together. There is only one thing that you can place and you, you can center yourself around that can never be stolen from you, never be lost. You can never have it erode. And when you invest in it, it will always give you a return in eternity. And that's Jesus. If anything, anyone is in your center besides Jesus, you're going to lose it. He's the field. He's the treasure in the field, guys. He's the treasure in the field. He's the pearl of great price. It's him. And you and I, we, we have got to reevaluate all the time. I love New Year's resolutions. Fine. It's great. And, and, you know, it's a great time to kind of like refocus. But the key thing that you must do before you go after your pearl is you have to readjust. You've got to readjust your treasure. You've got to readjust your center, your focus. What are you centered on? You know what? None of us, none of us are immune to getting off center. Every single one of us get off center. And it is a good regular practice for us to go, Jesus, I just want to realign with you. I do this sometimes in the middle of worship time with all of us. And I go, okay, let's just pause for a second. Jesus, I'm placing you in my mind's eye right now. You're above everything. You're, you are high and lifted up, right? And I'm placing you above everything, every worry, every concern, every failure, every dream, every hope, every, everything I want in my life, everything I need, every distraction. Jesus, I am lifting you up. I'm placing you as my center. When you are Jesus-centric, every decision is Jesus-centric. You are, it's going to change your roadmap. It's going to work. It's going to change the, the, the success path in your life because he wants you to engage in his relationship. He wants to be number one. He wants to be, he wants to be right in that center, guys. It's interesting. When you go after your family, when Jesus is the center, and your kid comes to you and talks to you about, hey, I want to be involved in volleyball. I want to do this. Or your boss comes to you and says, I want to give you a promotion. You go, you know what? I'm going to pray about that. Let me see what God wants to do. And we do that from a Christ-centered position. God, what is best for my kid? between their relationship with you? How do I help them have a better relationship with you? That might be, we need to not play volleyball. That might be, hey, we're just doing way too many things, and you're actually doing way too many things. It's not gonna be healthy for you and your relationship with Christ. And maybe it's gonna be. Yeah, how the heck are you gonna know if you're not first centered in Christ? God might be saying, look, I gave this promotion to you. He gives you this great promotion, and you're so afraid that you're gonna lose an hour or two of this sacred family time that you set aside. And, well, it's at this time every single day, and we can't change it. 
And that work schedule is going to bump that thing. But God's like, I just gave you this beautiful promotion you were begging me for or that I designed you for, and it's part of the roadmap, and you just miss out on it because Jesus is not your center. You might take on a job that God's like, hey, I want you to start as a garbage man. You're like, well, I'm too good for being a garbage man, but if you're Jesus-centered, you might see that as a great opportunity. You go, Jesus is leading me somewhere because there's people that need to get saved in the garbage man. He wants to teach you the garbage man's lessons. There's good ones in there. I've done some good garbage man type jobs, and I'm glad for it shaped me and I would have never chosen that road for me if status was my angle instead of Jesus I would have never chose those paths but when Christ becomes your focus the roadmap makes sense it starts to all come to place the problem with having anything else at your center is that you lose it John 12 23 Jesus replied now the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory I tell you the truth unless you a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies it remains alone but its death will produce many kernels a plentiful harvest of new lives those who love their life in this world will lose it those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. It's about letting it go and keeping Jesus as the center. Okay. What does a Jesus-centered life look like? At the core of every Jesus-centered life are these four things. Love, humility, service, and sacrifice. Pastor Mike preached an awesome message last week. You guys enjoy his message last week? If you're here, it, and, and you know, service is a part of engaging in relationship with Jesus. When you, if you're like, hey, I wanna, get, I wanna measure the fruit out of my life, against my life in my Christ-centered relationship will not look like you being isolated and not in loving relationships, operating in humility, engaged in service and sacrifice. When you serve, there's a sacrifice. It's not easy. You're giving up something. Sometimes we want to just be involved in things because we're fun-centered. Is it going to be fun? Which is really self-centered. It's really about pleasure-centered, right? Am I going to have pleasure when I do this? That leads you down a really bad road. Love, humility, service, sacrifice. Those are the things that you're going to find in a Jesus-centric lifestyle. When he becomes the center, all of a sudden we start giving things up. I want to give up these useless things in my life that aren't important. And I want to engage in loving people with humility, serving and sacrificing and giving up my life because other people's lives, they matter to me. You guys still with me? This really is going to come down to how do I see people? And are people, do they have equal needs and value to my own? And do they matter in eternity? And when Jesus becomes my center, we start to engage with other people and seeing them come to know Jesus as well. Hebrews 10.34, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the uh, confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That's Hebrews 10.34. The, the disciples understood, understood what they were giving up and what they were trading it for. And it was a sacrifice. 
We have to be willing to give up some things to go after that treasure, sell it all to go after that pearl of great price. What is your pearl? What are you going after this year? What, are you, what is God asking you to, di- to, to sell to, to go after? And it can't be about you. It's like, well, I just want to look better. So people say, good job. That's about you. Maybe it's like, hey, I want to get my health back so I can, because God's telling me to do that so I can serve him. Okay, that could be it. But it's got to come first. You adjust, right? We're going to adjust, and then we're going to find our pearl. We're going to adjust our center. God, get us back on track. We're going to be Jesus-centered, and then we're going to go after our pearl. But I believe God wants you to ask him, Lord, get me straight. And then ask him, what's the pearl I'm going after this year? What am I going to engage in to make a difference? And it should look different when you're done. That pearl should be a stretch goal. Right? It's a stretch for you to do it. And it's going to hurt a little bit. you got to give something up to go after that. And it should be from Jesus. He'll tell you what to do. Just ask him. Just pursue him. And what if we all pursued him? What would our church look like in just a year? of us giving up stuff and pursuing him. Like these people, they pursued this field. They just went after it. The pearl of great price. They're like, I'm selling it all to go get that. What are you gonna sell of yourself to go after something from a Jesus-centric place? What are you gonna sell? What are you gonna go after? And what is he asking you to do? Maybe it's engage in one of our small groups. Maybe it's to engage in, in, in one of our leadership tracks. Maybe it's to get involved. Maybe it's to just start tithing and giving. Maybe it's to start witnessing. Maybe it's to start loving people, serving in our give and take and feeding and uh, feeding the poor and helping the needy. What is God asking you to do? Maybe it's to go out on the street every day and tell somebody about Jesus before you go home after work. I don't know. But it's gonna start from a relationship with Jesus. And then you have to engage. You have to engage. Philippians 3, 7, but whatever were gains to me and I'll consider loss for the, for, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that from which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. It's time to engage in your dream. It's time to engage in what God made you for. It's time to engage in something that Jesus is asking you specifically to do. Keep coming to church. Keep growing. Church, will you stand with me as we close here and worship? We're just going to worship for a second before. And I want you, while we worship, to just be thinking about what are you giving up this year? Ask the Lord, what are you giving up so you can engage in something else? It's not just subtracting things. We're going to add something, right? What am I going to add in my life, engage in my life, that's going to make a difference, that's going to be what he has planned for me this year. Father, in Jesus' name, we're worshiping you and we're asking you, God, that you would direct us and lead us into this loving relationship with you. Will you make you the center of our life? Come on, just pray that with me for a second. Jesus, be the center of my life. I just cast off all self-centeredness, money-centeredness, status-centered. 
I just rebuke those things and I just ask you to forgive me for letting anything else be my center but you, Jesus. You are, you are the center of my entire being. I want your will, not my own. I want what you want, not what I want. God, will you shift me right now and then speak to me. Show me what you want me to do. How do you want me to invest my life this year, engage my life this year in your kingdom purposes in Jesus' name? Let's worship. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.